This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. The Humanities Symposia is a lecture series sponsored by the Department of Humanities and Communication at Trine University. Today's speaker is Dr. Christine Olding. Dr. Olding has a BA from the University of Dayton in English Literature and Philosophy, an MA also from the University of Dayton in Creative Writing, where her master's thesis discussed the concept of Foucault's madmen in relation to the founding fathers of GLAM through both research and a creative short story cycle. Her thesis was the second digital thesis to be published at the university. Her PhD is from Kent State University, where she wrote her dissertation on the sonic composing processes of musicians. The title of her talk today is Les Paul, Composing Through the Times. Thank you so much, Dr. Mayus. I very much appreciate it. Um, again, I'm Dr. Christine Olding. I'm going to be talking about Les Paul today, and this talk is actually part of my uh, doctoral dissertation, where I studied Les Paul's composing process, along with two other current live, sorry, non-famous musicians, composing processes. So with that, here we go. All right, so all the information I'm about to discuss is directly from sources I gathered during my research at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Library and Archives, where I spent about 30 hours in-house going through all of the Les Paul material that was donated by his estate after his death. They're from primary sources that discuss directly who Paul was as a musician and person. Since I was unable to talk to Paul, I used these resources to provide me with the context for understanding how Paul learned how to play and create music. Les Paul was born in 1915 in Wisconsin and made his first instrument modification at the age of nine with a used harmonica given to him by a laborer in his hometown. Paul decided that he wanted the instrument to sound different than everyone else and dipped it in water to create a different sound and went on to create a harmonica holder as well that allowed him to play the guitar without having any additional accompaniment. This was his first step in creating what would be later called the new sound. So that's a picture of Les Paul um, in his younger days. And then that is a picture of a Les Paul guitar, which I'm going to talk about a little bit more in depth within this conversation. By the time he was 14, he had already obtained a job at a local radio station, which impacted his musical creativity. And by the time he was 17, he was playing on national radio programs. Also during his teenage years, Paul created the first ever electric guitar using his family's phonograph. Over the next two decades, Paul traveled the country playing on radio stations in Chicago, New York City, and California, while continuing to perfect the ideal solid body electric guitar sound. Paul's drive for the ideal electric sound was born out of his desire to have the same power as other instruments in a live setting. Quote, sorry, quote, and now that I was through with the piano, I was taking my guitar and sitting at jazz clubs every night, playing with the greats and learning from every one of them. This was when I began to get serious about amplifying my sound because with just an acoustic guitar, it was an impossible to cut through the horns and drums and noisy, juiced-up crowds who came to dig the music. I wanted to be heard, and I knew the electric guitar was the way to go, going all the way back to Beekman's barbecue stand. So these were the problems I had been working on all this time. 
I wanted to be able to record what I was doing so I could hear it and judge it and make it better. And I wanted to be heard without having to beat my guitar to death." End quote. Paul's first electric prototype was crafted in 1941, five years before Fender's, and by 1966, it was Gibson's number one selling guitar. Several years later in California, the first process of modern recording technology transpired. Paul decided that he wanted to build his own studio in his home and wanted to create a sound that made it seem like a one-man orchestra. He began researching the process of creating the sound recording technology necessary, and in 1948, he created the first ever multi-track recording. Multi-track recording is what all of you now listen to. So that wasn't invented until 1948. Just think about that for a second how music has completely changed in less than 100 years. Which maybe to you guys isn't that cool, but to me it's really, really cool and really fascinating. So I want you to keep that in mind as I continue to read. The new sound, which is what it was called, of recording technology took popular culture by storm and paved the way for modern recording technology. So with this, Paul would shift not only the way he composed, but the way other musicians would compose for years and decades to come. From an early age, Paul's innate talent towards music and his sensory perception of sound pushed him to create new resources for meaning making by manipulating available materials and technologies. Paul's literacy practices, or what a person does with literacy, while composing resulted in the creation of the solid body electric guitar. By the time Paul was 16, he had mastered the guitar enough to realize, again, that he was dissatisfied with the sonic output and in 1933, when Paul was just 18 years old, he bought his first Gibson L50 for $45 and would use that guitar as the foundation for the creation of a new medium of communication that we now know as the electric guitar. Paul put a road rail into the guitar and used the Epiphone factory, ironically, to build and alter the guitar. He placed a wood stick, so the guitar log, into an amplifier, and then he would play that in a club. And he said, quote, I invented a device that could give me a consistent reference point for my experiences, end quote. Paul's invention of the solid body electric guitar allowed for his literacy practices, again, what he does with literacy, to be enacted during his composing processes. So before the electric guitar, Paul was unable to transfer his conceptualization of music from his head to the fretboard because nothing would make that sound that he wanted. However, after the electric guitar, Paul was able to use this new medium to not only enact his own literacy practices, but sponsor future musicians' literacy practices as well. Paul's own goal-driven process for composing his ideal sound resulted in Paul creating new mediums for communication. Paul's creation, again, of the solid body electric guitar was not just a medium for self-consumption, but was soon put into the spotlight and would be used by musicians for decades to come. So people are still using Les Gibson Les Paul. Les Paul Gibsons, right? Um, some more famous musicians, I know I'm a big fan of these musicians. Most of you probably don't know who they are, but um, Led Zeppelin, the band Led Zeppelin, famously used Les Paul. Mark Bolin of T-Rex also had um, a Les Paul guitar. He actually wrote songs about his Les Paul guitar. And then Les Pauls are still being used today by famous musicians. 
Paul was the first person to deliver the solid body electric guitar into the airways of American homes. And he was quoted saying, quote, and it was particularly satisfying to be the first to really put the electric guitar in the spotlight on national radio, end quote. Again, electric guitar, something that we hear all the time, was put on the national airways less than 100 years ago. And maybe that might not be cool to you, but it's pretty cool to me. And it changed the way that we listen to and understand music and popular culture forever. Paul's knowledge concerning guitars, his skill on the guitar, and self-taught understanding of technology propelled Paul to create this new resource. Um, for meaning making in the form of this guitar. However, with that, this creation of the solid body electric guitar in some ways is similar to, to current sound creators' use of different tools to manipulate the sound of their communicative artifact. So if you think about how different types of DJs use different clips, splices, they reuse the sound that's already created to remake a new sound, to make a new meaning. Very similar to that if we were to put it in today's kind of terminology in today's music world. Like Paul, who used differing tools to alter the guitar and build a new medium that produced a new sound, current sound creators and musicians use different tools to transform the sounds of instruments and other mediums at a constant. So even though Paul was creating these new tools and mediums of sonic creation, he was also using multimedia in the overall creation and, product and production of his communicative artifacts. So that's actually a picture from the archives of Les Paul and his then wife Mary Ford recording in their home studio, which I'm going to talk about a little bit later. But Les Paul had this recording studio in his home set up so that no matter where they were in the house, they could record music, even when she was washing dishes. They had stuff everywhere so that recording could always be at the forefront of their lives. Between 1945 and 1946, Paul built a studio in his California home using the information he learned from the books he brought home. Quote, when he couldn't buy needed equipment, he invented it. End quote. Paul did not limit his vision by what was available, but instead was driven by his ability to create things that were yet to be available, again demonstrating his goal-driven composing process to enact his own notion of sound. Paul's home studio is where his technological creations and composing processes became a united front. In a biography piece that I read at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame archives, the author stated, he now had a studio, but no ideas, until one night with a gathering of friends, arranging was discussed. The idea was brought upon how wonderful an orchestra would be if all played like one. Again, the light lit in Les's mind, if he could play all the parts, rhythm, melody, harmony, backgrounds, it would be an orchestra playing like one. In fact, it would be one. To think this is to do so out to the studio he went. The final step in the formation of the new sound had arrived, and after several experiments, Lover and Brazil were recorded. So it's really important to note that Les Paul famously said that he was not a note-reading man, that he could not read no musical notations. He did not know how to write musical notations. However, during my hours at the archives, I did notice that he was an extremely prolific musician who did, in fact, keep records of sheet music for his songs. Um, and so it made me wonder whether or not he was 
kind of hiding behind a facade of not being able to read and write music, uh, which I have a conspiracy theory that he definitely was. But he always claimed that he, as the quote says, I ain't no note reading man. And when he married uh, Mary Ford, one of the reasons he trusted her was because she too could not read music. And so he kind of viewed it as this, right, it's bizarre. He kind of viewed it as this thing that if you knew how to read and write music, you were like hoity-toity. And he didn't want to be associated with that. Paul's inward notion of sound and sound creation, along with his self-taught knowledge on recording technology, allowed for the creation of yet another mode of communication. So he created the electric guitar, which was a new mode of communication. The second mode of communication is this new sound or multi-track recording. Despite Paul's music literacy practices not being mediated by text, his literacy practices concerning the actual building of these new modes was mediated by text, meaning that even though Paul was unable to read and write music, reading and writing was still part of his process because he needed to use that in order to build these new modes of communication. Um, in the same biography, as I quoted earlier, it states, he'd stay up all night reading. They weren't music books, but they were sound, engineering physics, electronics, recording, and similar topics were all the subjects of these books. Paul's ability to create music, um, again, was, me was mediated not by text, while his ability to create the technology was. In an article found, in, again, in the archives, the author describes the event when Paul spoke his mind concerning the need to better recording technology. Quote, finally in 1942, during a recording session with Bing Cosby, Crosby, sorry, he declared his opinion, this stuff just wasn't right, he said. A singer shouldn't sound as if he had his head in a rain barrel. End quote. According to that same article, this was the moment that pushed Paul to research and create this new sound. Paul's own understanding of sound in relation to his perception of sound mediated Paul's need to create a mechanism that would provide the sonic output he envisioned for his and other musical abilities. So this is an actual, um, I mean, it's a photocopy of the real thing, but this is a picture of um, a piece of music that Les Paul wrote. Um, it has different notations on it, you can tell when it was written based upon where he was at the time, which was when in Chicago, so this was earlier in his career. Um, and it kind of shows not only the lyrical changes, but also like his editing and revisioning, which is kind of interesting. So if anybody's into that kind of thing, there is that. Okay. Paul's new sound or multi-track recording system provided a new mode, media, and motor resource to the maker of sound by creating a new way to manipulate sound output. Paul's own understanding of sound in relation to his perception of sound mediated Paul's need to create a mechanism that would provide the sonic op output that he envisioned for his and others' music abilities. The new sound, as depicted in the above section, was a recording technique that allowed Paul and Ford, his wife at the time, to record more than one part onto a disc. And I'm going to kind of explain that process in a second. Um, in another article found in the archives, an author by the last name of Leslie discusses this process of creating the new sound in more detail, stating, the tape would now have two parts on it, 
and the process could be continued as long as desired so that the finished tape might have Les playing a dozen or more guitars. The maximum number of parts recorded on a single tape was 24, and 21 parts were recorded on a disc in the pre-tape period. Paul's vision of being able to be a one-man orchestra had become a reality, driven by his own understanding of sound and sensory-driven approach to his musical creation. Paul's literacy practices allowed for the creation, again, of another mode of communication. During Paul's compo composing process, he would enact what I call a mode process to create a monomodal end product, which means it's a single mode. So there are different modes of communication. So a single mode for Paul would be the mode of sonic output, of sound. An example to support Paul's mode process discusses how Paul had a trick that he would use during the composing and recording process that would cut down the time from, ordina from ordinary re-recording. So before multi-tracking existed, they, you would have to record once on like one recorder. If you messed it up, you'd have to redo it. Then you'd have to record another one and another one and then record all of them. It was like this huge long process. And so he kind of eliminated that, those steps. So to get that effect of many instrument, instruments, Les changes speeds. So if you play back a tape at half the speed at which it was recorded, you get a deep fiddle sound. And if you speed up the playback, you get a higher pitch and a trumpet sound. So by changing speed, you can change a part from the key of C to the key of F. So he would manipulate the actual sound by manipulating the speeds of the recordings. Which would mean that in order to create one sound, he would have to use multiple modes, so more than one mode, to create this one sound output, which, again, I think is pretty awesome. But I also wrote an entire dissertation about it, so I might be a little biased. He would use sound to ensure that the product was what he had envisioned, what he had wanted. Visuals to ensure that the levels, placement, and so on were where they needed to be, and writing to add any frets or licks to the composition itself. Even though the basis for the song would be in place before recording, the song itself would shift based on the manipulation Paul would use post-recording. Paul's process used more than one mode of communication to create a monomodal product of a song. Paul's process is multimodal, while the product he is creating is monomodal. Paul's manipulation and creation of new modes for sonic output provided an aspect of materiality that directly impacted the mode of sound as a whole. Before Paul's creation of multi-track recording, or at least the streamlining of it, the materiality of the mode of sound was static and singular. The creator could only make one sound per recording and would not be able to translate the sonic output in real time to the analog recording because the creator could not capture more than one track, i.e. a band could only record all parts at once and hope that the sonic output translated. Though Paul created a mode that provided the ability to translate a multi-part musical composition to analog recording, the product itself did not shift because the product for both single part and multi-part compositions is a communicative artifact that is defined by sonic output, so sound. It is the process of creation that changes and not the product itself. So the product is always going to be sound, but the process shifts what that sound is. 
Paul used the mode of electronic amplification to enact new uses or a new language to provide a new avenue for meaning creation. So not only was Paul's creation of the new sound an avenue for new modal resources, so was his creation of the solid body electric guitar. Les Paul patented the solid body electric guitar in 1959. Just like with the creation of new sound, Paul enacted his own understanding of sound. So what he felt sound should sound like, which I know is a kind of a weird thing to think about, but what he felt it should sound like, uh, to shift the mode of electronic amplification by manipulating the tool, so the guitar, used to create what you ultimately hear. So according to the patent itself, the solid body electric guitar is explained, is explained and categorized as this. The invention relates to improvements for a stringed musical instrument having a magnetic pickup, the improvements more particularly residing in a novel technique of employing the magnetic pickup to convert string vibration into electrical variations and in a novel arrangement of parts for carrying out this technique. The principal object of this invention is to produce tones without the harshness and metallic sound usually produced by most electrical instruments. The patent describes this invention as one that shifts the semiotic work of the original guitar by shifting again the sonic output. Quote, the principal object of this invention is to produce tones without the harshness and metallic sound usually produced by most electrical instruments, end quote. The invention in and of itself was created with the purpose of shifting the modal resource of electronic ampl amplification to create a new way of communicating with sound. Without the metallic sound, the user of the guitar would have to adjust how they compose and play the instrument to, to ensure that they are getting their own desired sound. Paul's creation of these tools and technologies not only impacted his composing process, but demonstrate the, affordance, the affordances and constraints of composing with sound, specifically composing with music. Though Paul was able to create these tools and technologies to aid in his process, they were his creation that enacted his understanding of sound. Like with words, my use of language depicts my understanding of a topic, and Paul's creation of tools enacts his understanding of sound. Though another person can manipulate those tools to enact their own understanding, the basis of sound is still going to be the same. However, Paul's creations also led way to a revolutionary understanding of what sound, specifically music, could sound like that would shift the music world and audience's understanding forever. Though these tools and technologies might be seen as limiting another creator's process, these tools and technologies also open the door for what is possible in terms of sonic and musical composition. Language can only say so much, and sound can only express so much. Each are limited by themselves due to their inability to inhabit more than themselves. It is understanding these limitations, especially in terms of choice of mode during composition, that, lend way, that lends way to grasping a composer's intent and goal for their piece and audience. Paul's creation of new tools and mediums was mediated out of the need to compose something that emulated the sound that he envisioned. What if one affordance sound and music have over traditional alphabetic text is their ability to be manipulated to fit a particular person's vision. There are only so many ways that you can arrange letters on a page to invoke your own vision. 
The tools used to create alphabetic text in the form of communication are limited by the mode of writing itself, whereas the mode of sound lends way to the creation of new mediums and tools to provide the ultimate personal product. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu.